0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit Gospelite.org. Well, open your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in a sermon series, as you can see on the screen. We're talking about convictions and we've already been through two messages, and now here is the third message in this series. Just seems like we began, and here we are already midway through this series, and we're discussing this. Let me lay a little foundation, especially if this is your first time to, to be here in the series, that there's power in personal convictions. There's power in personal convictions. We're talking about getting something decided before the crisis starts. That's where the foundation is. And so last week we talked about change. We discussed that Jesus is changing us. We said that God's word changes people. And the fact that the idea when you come to Christ as a believer, it's not the end, it is the beginning. It's just the start of what God is going to do in your life. It's not just salvation, but it's also a process called sanctification and god doesn't just want to bless me he doesn't just want to bless you with the gift of eternal life but rather he wants to bless his kingdom with a representation of a transformed life right here right now on planet earth and so that's why he's changing us and i began with that particular message because in in essence everything we're going to talk about is going to require change it's gonna require going from one place to another. Prayerfully from one place to a better place, to a to a place of growth with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm so excited about this message. It is a very convicting message. It's convicting for, for two reasons now. Before I preached at the first service, it was convicting because I had to study it for about three weeks. And I was under deep Holy Ghost conviction. But after preaching it, I'm under deeper conviction, okay? And I'm sure it'll only get stronger after this time. So I'm praying that God will convict all of us. There's so much here. And I actually took a little too much time in that first service. I get comfortable with the, you know, the, the, it's a cozier audience. It's a smaller audience. So I'm going to be conscious of that as I preach this second message, convicted about speech. This is an area that all of us are struggling in. This is an area that all of us are failing in one way or another. Would not you admit with me that we can all work on this, our speech? And how does that look? And what does Scripture say? Well, we're in Ephesians 4, and in just a moment we're going to, to read a verse. But before that, I want to give you this first thought. Here's what we need to be convicted about. Stop lying. Stop lying. Tell the truth, we are family. Here's what Scripture says. In Ephesians 4, as we begin to walk through this message, convicted about speech, verse 25, it speaks of this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one or of another. We're members one of another. Now, now a summary of what that is saying is basically this, and I'll be very clear because the scripture's clear. Stop lying. Put away falsehood. Just put it away. In fact, when you have to put something away, it means you possess it. You have it. All of us here today struggle with this. There's all of us here today understand when it says put away. Falsehood, I I get it. Falsehood, what is lying? Falsehood uttered or acted with intent to deceive. It's a very strong passage in, in the Word where it speaks of these six things that God hates and seven are an abomination. And interestingly enough, one of those things is lying lips. God hates lying. And yet we have a society built upon lying. Lying politicians, lying parents, and sad to say, even in my world, lying pastors. Not just speaking wrong, not just speaking wrong, but failing to speak the truth. And it's all really deception. It's all our sinful nature to deceive. Scripture even says that we struggle with deceiving our own selves. There's a constant battle going on, as we talked about last week, between the flesh and the spirit. And I'd like to say it this way, this week, for this message, there's a constant battle going on between truth and between error. We all lie. It's part of our sinful nature. We lie about ourselves. We lie about our circumstances. We lie about our spirituality. We lie about what we say, we lie about what we don't say, gray areas, angles. Can we just be honest this morning and for the next few minutes, allow the Holy Spirit to convict us about our speech? Now there's three reasons why people lie, and I, I just want to give you these, these three reasons, and I think there's probably more, but three this morning. Number one, sometimes we lie to acquire. We lie to acquire. We lie sometimes to get something that I want. I want more money, so I lie on my tax return. I lie about a job or a promotion. Or or what about this? I want this relationship, and I can't show who I really am, or else maybe I won't get it, so I have to, to lie to acquire. Secondly, sometimes we lie to enhance. We, we want to make people think what we want them to think, right? I mean, I'm, I'm better than I really am. I'm, I'm different than I really am. I'm, I'm smarter than I, than I really am. And the reason I lie to enhance is because I really can't let people see the true me because no one would love me if they really knew what I was like. So I have to, I have to lie to, to enhance we lie sometimes to protect, to defend, some, uh, to, to defend off something that we don't want to happen. I don't want to pay that fine. I don't want to lose that chance. I don't want to deal with that person. So the phone rings. Hey, uh, so-and-so would like to talk with you. Um, tell him I'm not here. And so we lie to protect. So what is the solution? That's pretty strong stuff. I submit to you today that all of us need to put away falsehood. So, so how do we solve that? How do we put it away? Here it is. It's in the text. It's so clear. It says there in Ephesians 4.25, Paul said, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth. That's the solution. And it's beautiful. Speak the truth. God's desire is not to just stop speaking. Rather, God wants us to speak the truth. God gave us a mouth for a reason, and God wants us to speak the truth. Openness and transparency are the building blocks of a healthy relationship. Just being open, being transparent. We want a community that speaks the truth. We want to be a part of a community, a family that speaks the truth. Because truth, my friends, truth is the best thing we have. It's the best thing we have. Down with error and up with truth. Up with the way that it really is, what God says. And so, therefore, we must put away falsehood and speak the truth with one another. You say, well, pastor... Whew. man, I got to thinking about that as you've been talking. I mean, you know if we do that, you know if we if we speak the truth to one another that that could get pretty messy i mean that's that's that could get intense, couldn't it Well, yeah, but why would we do that why Why would we be okay with it? Well, it's in the text. the Bible says very clearly. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members one of another. Stop lying. Tell the truth. We're family. We're family. We are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So often scripture describes the family of God as a body. Some maybe are the hand and others are the foot and and others are some of the best elbows I've ever seen. Amen. Amen. We're all part, though, of the same body. We're members of one another. We're family. So we want to stop lying and speak the truth. Listen, church, we've been here. We're coming up in June. We're coming up, believe it or not, incredible. To me, this is incredible. It is, especially in the day and age that we live in, in the modern New Testament church. We're coming up on 29 years together. I mean, it's amazing. Gospel Light will celebrate 29 years, and I have attempted for these past 29 years, and I'm growing in this. In fact, this message is part of that growth. But I've attempted to make the culture of our church, the DNA of our church, to be a place where we speak the truth. We don't lie. We're family. I mean, could it be possible to have a church where brothers and sisters speak to one another the truth? I mean, just we're honest. We, 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 we talk it out. We discuss things. We, 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 we're, we're, we're concerned about the truth. It seems to me that so many people just don't want to know the truth. People want to live in self-deception. But when you get a community of people to speak the truth in love to one another, I propose to you this morning that what you have when you have that is a very powerful thing. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Don't you want to be a part of a church where you can count on that church to tell you like it really is? In other words, they'll listen to you. They'll receive you. They'll give to you. They'll exchange truth in that way. You have a powerful thing when you have people that you can count on to always tell you the truth. Kids, you have a good thing when you have parents that just always tell you the truth. Parents, you have a good situation when your kids are just always deeply honest with you. They just tell you the truth about what they're feeling. Church members, we have a great relationship when you can approach the elders or the pastor, uh, the senior pastor, and just know that, man, I can just level with them. I can tell them the truth. And pastors have that same privilege when they have a congregation, that they can feel liberty to preach a message like this and not everybody's going to leave next Sunday because the pastor preached the truth. Even though it was a little uncomfortable. That's what we want. Because we're family. We're brothers. We're sisters. Church, we need to commit ourselves to that. We need to have a conviction about that. We need to be convicted about our speech. Stop lying. Stop lying. Tell the truth. We're family. Secondly, be angry. Sin not. Resolve it today. Look at the text. Let's just continue in the text. Let's stay with the text. It says here that, and it's talking about a specific kind of word, about a specific type of moment here. In verse 26 it says, To be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Now let's begin this morning on this particular verse by pointing out the fact that Paul is bringing up two main points here. The first thing Paul is very clear about is this, is that anger is not sin. Not always. Anger is not sin. There is a righteous anger over sin. And you and I should be angry over anything that maligns God or that injures others. That's a righteous anger. When you're angry over something that, that destroys the reputation of God or takes away at all from the character of God... And when you're upset over someone who is injured or hurt, then that is a righteous anger. Jesus displayed that righteous anger. But here's the thing about our sin nature. The thing about our sin nature that Jesus didn't have a problem with is that we get angry over things that we have no right to be angry about, like our reputation, what people think of me. Do you know who I am? I dare you talk to me. So when is anger sin? If scripture says that we need to be angry, but we don't need to sin, when when does it cross the line? When is it sin? Let me give you just two quick things. Number one, anger is sin when we spew it. When we blow a gasket. Listen, don't explode. Don't let anyone just have it. Don't give them a piece of your mind because you probably can't afford to lose even a piece. Amen? I know that I can't. Don't be a volcano. I had a coach like this one time. Every time he called a timeout, he blew a gasket. And in between curse words and in between, you know, the spit that was coming out of his mouth and landing on all of our players, that was pre-COVID and no masks. You know, you can laugh about that a little bit, can't we? I mean, it was just crazy. And it did not. And every now and then, when he wouldn't yell, we would kind of wonder, man, you know, what's well, got in the coach? He, he always yells, you know. Don't be a volcano. Scripture is very clear. And I actually really love this passage. It's found in James in chapter 1 and verse 20. And it says that the anger of man, the anger of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger is sin when you spew it, and anger is sin almost the opposite when you suppress it. The way to deal with something is not to just avoid it. Well, I know it 's happening I, I, I know something 's happening to my child, I know something 's going on in their life i know i 'm a little uncomfortable you know with the elder or the pastor or i 've seen some things that concern me, but none of my business. I just sweep it under the rug. I'm a carpet sweeper. I just suppress it. It bothers me. I'm concerned about it. I probably should say something, but you know what? I'm going to let the sun go down on my wrath. Be angry. Sin not. And how clear can Scripture be in verse 26? Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. That's not complicated. That is so beautiful. That is so clear. And how many times in 32 years of being married to my precious spouse have her and I had to say, Uh-uh. Stay awake, Eric. Sit up. Stay up, Carol Ann we got to talk this out. Nobody's going to the couch. Got to resolve it right now. I'm upset. And I love you. I'm angry. I don't want to sin. Let's resolve it now. That's what we need to do. Resolve it today. Christians are just avoiders. We we, we seem to just want to Hope it'll get better without, without speaking into it, without addressing it, without talking about it. And that's exactly the opposite of what we're to do. Our speech, if it honors God, will be concerned about resolving it quickly. Not getting angry about it, blowing a gasket, and, and, and getting upset, and, and, and walking out, and slamming a door, and throwing a fist or something. No, no. The scripture speaking here about speaking the truth in love to, a, to the extent that you resolve it immediately. Now listen... If you are offended by someone, you need to do one of three things to deal with that. And I just want to ask everyone in this building if you'll be extremely honest with me. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the first service was not that honest. I'm not sure if they were sleeping or if they just didn't want to answer the question or if they thought it was a trick question. But if you've been a member of Gospel Light for a few years, you know this about pastor, I never ask a trick question. And I never ask a question that I don't answer like I know you need to answer, if you're honest. I just don't. I'm not into that. So here's my hand. It's going up first. How many of you in the last year have been offended by someone? At least one person? I mean, it's the truth, isn't it? Maybe, maybe somebody here's like, "Yeah, you, you're the one. You know I, I get it. I, I, I probably have. I, I get that. No, really. That's part of why uh, maybe, maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe, maybe hey, you say, "Well, pastor, why did you say a year? Why not a month?" Well, Pastor, you could have said this and we would have all raised our hands. How many of you have been offended in the last week? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, here's my point. My point is this, is that it happens and it happens often. A lot. Offense. And there is a plan in Scripture in dealing with offense. Let me give you a few things here. Just number one, and I, I believe all of these, even though I don't have ancillary Scriptures for every one, I think there's so much here to be Disgust and I'm going to do it quickly, but number one the first way to handle offense is this when you are offended. Just let it roll off your back. I Think probably this is 50% of the time. It's just not that big a deal So many things that offend us are really none of our business in fact so many people got offended uh, you know, during during the, the election and all the things that went on and we get, a, we get offended by the media. And truly, church, our responsibility is to vote and then go back to being a Christian. Just vote. And if it doesn't work out the way you, it doesn't work out. I mean, people are still angry. People are still throwing a fit, yelling at the television, upset about so-and-so and this or that. Church, we have not been called to, to, to Fox News or CNN. We've not been called to spend hours in front of a television and get angry at somebody that doesn't even know who we are and doesn't care. We vote. And then we go back to winning this lost world to Jesus Christ. It's being a light. Realizing that, you know, times change and seasons change and presidents change, but Jesus never changes. Amen. Just let it roll off your back. So many things that offend us are really... None of our business. It's not a big deal. say, well, pastor, what if you can't do that? Okay, okay, I'll try, but what about those things that I just can't let it roll off my back? Well, number two, if you're offended, let it roll off to the Lord. If you can't let it roll off your back, then what about trying to get on your knees and just crying out to God on behalf of that person and yourself and the relationship? Father, I need you to help me. God, I am... I am just not doing well. I find myself, God, somewhat angry and bothered about this situation. I don't want bitterness to set in. I don't want a hard-heartedness to set in. This is my spouse, this is my child, or this is my church member, or this is my friend, or this is my business partner. And God, I know this is not good, and I need your help. I'm just struggling, God. And just cry out to God and talk to God about it. I think 45%, in addition to the 50%, percent right, 95% right now, of all of our offenses could be taken care of by letting it roll off our back or roll on to the Lord. But what about the other 5%? Pastor, I've tried both of those nice good i'm, I'm with you I've, I've let it roll off my back before and then it stays on my back and then i let it roll off to the lord and it stays on my back so what do i do well then you go to the person and it's about five percent of the time and i know i'm throwing these stats out like they're you know absolute but they're not i'm just predicting i mean this is just giving you kind of my testimony very few times do i have to do this by the time i either let it roll off my back or roll on to the lord but there are times when i have to go to the person and here's what's interesting. You can't control their response. All you can do is just express your feelings. That's all. Just tell them how you feel and what's going on and, and why you've been offended. And, and, and regardless of what they say. In fact, honestly, after you do the right thing, Matthew chapter 18 teaches this, then you probably need to let it be the roll off your back or roll on to the Lord at that point. But go to the person. Listen, if a church family follows this, it's it's beautiful i almost feel as if you can almost connect that scripture in psalm 133 verse 1 where it says behold how beautiful and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity because let me tell you something else god hates and that is discord he hates someone who sows discord someone who makes it their business to make sure everybody else knows what their what somebody else's business is you know what i mean i mean we go we hey have you heard and then the whole story we tell does not involve us at all. We just want to make sure that everybody knows the latest. And here's what I have discovered in my 29 years of pastoring, almost 29, the same church. I've traveled a lot and you know that. And I've gone to a lot of places and I've talked to a lot of pastors. And I'll be honest with you, many churches are exploding at the seams. It is a rare thing for a pastor to stay 29 years. It is a rare thing for a church to stay together and, and, and for a church not to split. And for, but I'm going to tell you, There are so many things going on today in the church that are destroying people, destroying congregations, destroying churches, because we're doing things, we're resolving conflict by sowing discord as opposed to handling it in a biblical, scriptural way, which is... Stop lying. Tell the truth. We're family. And secondly, what is it? (laughs) Be angry sin not resolve it today don't give the enemy a place in your family look at the next verse verse 27 it's interesting verse 27 is interesting because it's like the translators said hey let's give this verse its own verse i mean let's give this statement its own verse just just it's so powerful it's we want to make sure that people get it so let's not put too many words in this verse are you ready Give no opportunity to the devil. The King James Bible says, give no place to the devil. Maybe your translation says, give no foothold to the devil. But this translation that I'm using this morning says, give no opportunity to the devil. I want opportunity for what? Well, in the context of what we're reading here, to be destructive about stuff that you haven't resolved, about anger you took into the next day. Don't give the enemy a place to stand in your life If we're not careful many of us are rolling out the welcome mat to the devil to just come and join us Have a seat at the table Go ahead and ruin my kids just you have had a devil. Yeah, if you if you can just destroy my children Yeah, i'm uh, you know, we don't talk much and we never discuss things and we let things go So i'd like to give you an opportunity to make sure that my kids just die and go to hell. That'd be great I mean if that's what you want devil I, i'll just give you opportunity. You said that's silly. That's what we do when we don't resolve issues immediately, when we let the sun go down upon our anger, we invite the devil to have a place in our marriage. Have at it. Uh, the devil just try to, try to beat my wife and I up and, and just take us down with you. We know that's what you want anyway. You want us to split and get angry and you want me to sleep on the couch night after night and week after week. And, 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 and so God, the devil, just, just, just here's your opportunity. I'd like to give you your best shot. Take it. No, give no opportunity to the devil, not come and get me, devil. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 is so clear when it reminds us that we're to be sober-minded, we're to be watchful because our adversary, the devil, is prowling about. He's seeking who he can devour. How many of are giving the devil an opportunity in their life to take an offense that we haven't dealt with and destroy us. You're paying a high price to hold on to those offenses. You're paying a high price. And God could heal us of these offenses if we would just let him. But the only way to do it is you've got to step up and deal with these offenses. You've got to step up. You've got to deal with it. You can't carry the offense. Because what happens is you begin to carry that offense and you begin to disguise it. Oh, you're angry. You're frustrated. You're bitter. Maybe you're Peter put down. You disguise it like Peter, just putting people down. You know, you're, you're just kind of sarcastic all the time. And, you know, hey, you know, you're the guy that comes up to me every Sunday maybe and says, you know, hey, pastor, looks like you're losing more hair. Wow. Did you know you got a big zit on your forehead? Oh, thanks for the update. I appreciate that always putting people down. Hey, Peter, why are you so angry? Why don't you just deal with it? Don't disguise it by putting people down. And then there's Dolly down in the dumps. Oh, poor Dolly. She's got a black cloud over her head on a sunny day. I mean, today, she's down today. I mean, today's beautiful. She had breakfast, she's in church, she's heard the worship. But Dolly's struggling. And, and, and Dolly will be struggling three months from now. She's just down. I mean, Dolly's always down. And, and I want you to know, I have down days. I know that might be hard for you to, okay, down moments. <laughs> I do. I have a few. I usually, I'll have a few five-minute stretches in a week or maybe a month where I'll just be like, oh, stink, you know. And I'm just reminded that he reigns above it all. Amen? You know, Joseph had some reason to be down i mean think about it you know what 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 a tough life that old boy had i mean he gets beat up by his family thrown in a ditch left for dead sold into slavery then he's lied about by a couple of guys he tried to help thrown into prison kept in prison beyond the time that he should have been because of a lie somebody told about him and his attitude is like uh hey guys you meant it for evil but god meant it for good Dolly, what are you angry about? Why are you disguising it by just always being down in the dumps? And then there's Sam St. Helens. You ever been around Sam? Listen, here's what you got stand next to Sam and listen to the lava rumbling in his gut. He's about to blow. Oh, he has nine good days, and everybody thinks he's done? He's going, hey, Dad's been good for nine days. But then he calls and says, I'm coming home, and Mom starts warning everybody. It's not going to be good. Get to your rooms. Don't come out. Sam St. Helens is coming home. He just blows a gasket out of nowhere. Oh, he could do well for a while. But eventually, he blows. Sam, what offense are you holding on to? Why are you masking it in, in being arrogant and ugly and mean-spirited? And then there's Amy's avoidance. And she's married to Walter Wall. And Amy, oh, she, she just avoids everybody. In fact, Amy, I called you a couple of days ago. Why didn't you return my phone call? Well, I'm just not really good with uh, voicemail. No, no, Amy, you're angry. Well, uh, Amy, I texted you 10 days ago. You never responded. Oh, well, I just, you know, I don't do really good with text messages. I'm sorry. No, Amy, you're avoiding me again. And Walter, you've got a wall built the size of the Great Wall of China. You're coming to church after everybody else does. You're leaving before everybody else does. You hate carpooling because you've got to sit in the car with somebody else. You'd just rather be alone. Amy, Walter, what are you angry about? What is it you're not dealing with? Who is it you need to go to and resolve the anger? We mask it. We disguise it in so many ways. Stop lying. Speak the truth. We are family. Be angry. Sin not. Resolve it today. Notice verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I'm not going to take much time for that verse. It's kind of an interesting verse that in the context of speaking, in the context of speech, it speaks of the dignity of hard work and just being honest in your work and actually having honest speech in your work. But let's take just a moment, look at verse 29. It says, let no corrupt talk. That word corrupt means putrefying or defiling, or just tearing people down. Let none of this talk come out of your mouth. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number three, stop tearing people down. Start building people up. Stop saying what tears people down. Start saying what builds people up. The emphasis here in the text moves from what we shouldn't say to what we should say. Don't say what tears people down. Things that injure people. Things that are critical of people. The reason for that is because God is building people up. God is growing people. God is changing you. God is building me. And I don't want to work against God. And yet so often in the family of God, we work against the goal of God, which is to build people up now sometimes i realize that building someone up includes chastening sometimes it includes hearing something that is really hard to hear is not that true it's hard sometimes you got to go to somebody and and you got to deal with something and it's a little uncomfortable and it's it's confrontation and what do i hear by almost every christian i know almost everyone i hate confrontation hear it all the time and so that's our excuse i just hate confrontation Well, listen, let me tell you something. In order for you to build someone up, it requires that. So why don't you just not confront them and just tear them down and tear yourself down and and, and work against God. That's what you're doing. So don't say that unless you want to admit that you're working against God because God's all about having hard conversations. Amen. God's all about going, you know why? Listen, because sometimes building people up It includes tasting and includes things that are hard to hear. But I love this. The goal and the tone of it all has to be to advance God's goal of building the person up. How many times have I gone to my own children? About 10,000. Not exaggerating. I've got five. Four of them would understand. I've got the special needs daughter. But four of them would say, yeah, dad's probably right. 2,500 apiece. And that's over, that's over for, Mo, 30 years, about 2,500 times. So it's really, when you spread that out, it's just probably once every few days. Or maybe every, you know, once a day or once every other day. I go to Mo and I, I'm, I, I'm, hey, Mo, let me talk to you about something, man. Hey, by the way, I've told you lately, you're an awesome kid. You're an amazing firstborn son. I love you like crazy. But son, you got to do a better job of communicating. It just, re- I, I'm struggling, you know, I, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we just talk about it. But son, you're amazing. You're, you're an amazing. Your you, you work ethics like second to none. You just got to do a little better in this area. Yeah? Not easy, but if I see my kids struggling maybe in their marriage, if I, if, I, if I were to see that, I would go to them. Say, hey, guys, listen, mom and I, we are so excited about the two of you. You're amazing. You say, look, leave it alone. Leave and cleave, preacher. You know, leave it alone. They're married. It's none of your business now. Some of you haven't really confronted your kids since they were 18, and and what we need to do is remember we're still mom and dad, and we still are concerned, and there's still reason sometimes for us in a loving, building-up way to go to them and say, we just are concerned about the way you guys talk to each other. Listen, this is part of building people up. This is how we advance the kingdom of God. As long as our tone is right, and it's in love, and there's concern and compassion. You know what grieves me about sometimes? Christians, when they talk to one another, they are so harsh. I grew up in a church where it was all about harsh preaching, and we bragged about it. I mean, if the preacher didn't say in the message at least once, if you don't like it, you can lump it. You know what we said about that? That's good preaching. That was horrible preaching. <laughs> oh, what about this one? Anybody remember this one? You don't like it, the door swings both ways. Those are the churches in town. How? That's of the devil. You're basically looking at people and saying, just leave if you don't like it, go somewhere else. What brother would say that to a brother? What sister would say that to a sister? Bless God, if you ain't saved, you're gonna split hell wide open. I mean, I get it. I mean, yes, there's a heaven, there's a hell, but could, could, could you speak it a little nicer? Does it have to be that we're splitting it wide open? can it be like, you know, we're getting close, and we, but God loves us, and he died for us. I mean, can, can, can you? We're so harsh. Dad's talking to their kids. Kids talking to their parents. It's, it's ugly. It's harsh. Brothers, sisters, watch your tone. Let's speak to one another. Let's confront one another. But let's do it in the right way. This past political season about ruin Christianity. It about ruin it. I mean, the climate got so hot. In fact, you know, you know you're in trouble when somebody, the lost world, you know, gets this attitude about, you yeah, you're not one of those born-againers, are you? And then they want to know, you know, of course, if you, if you say yes, then they say, oh, you must be a Republican because all Republicans are Christians, right? You know, I, I learned something in this past election. <laughs> Actually, I learned it way before this, but I'm not Republican and I'm not Democrat. I'm Christian. I'm Christian. And I think sometimes we, we this past election, the, the, the harshness was so high in the political climate that so many Christians and pulpits got involved in it, we became angry, we began, be, began to spew out harsh words against other people, and there was this great divide, and, and Satan was loving it. He was eating it alive as Christians began to get this reputation that we just, you know, hate this and hate that, and we're against this, and we're upset with this, and we're, you know, we're this, and I don't even want to say what they said we were, because it's not necessary. I don't want to name names. But you, you can kind of, you can see where I'm going. And we developed it. And I learned something through all of this. That, that, that making fun of people is not Christ-like. Even if they don't agree with you. Like calling them names and making fun of them and holding up signs like we're, we're all for what someone is saying. That is not who we are. Listen, we vote, we vote our conscience, we vote what Scripture says, we vote our our morals, but listen, we have to walk away then and just be like Christ. Even if those that we vote for are not being like Him. I hope you're hearing this. Mean-spiritedness and tearing people down is not becoming of a Christian. It's not the right kind of speech. You say, well, you'll never win an election. Well, I'm not going to run, okay? I already tried once and lost I was so nice. I couldn't say anything mean. The poor lady would say something, you know, well, he's a pastor. You know, what's he, he I got no business. And I'm like, you know, well, you're probably right. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but I've got to try. I mean, I'll, I'll do my best. And I got beat. <laughs> Listen, stop saying what tears people down and start building people up. Look at verse 29, it's amazing. He says, good for building up. Just, just take that for a moment and just stare at that for a moment. Good for building up. You know, what I'm hear- you know what I'm seeing in addition to good for building up? I'm seeing this. I want to build my church family up. I want to build my wife up. I want to build my kids up. I want to build my grandkids up. I want to encourage others. That's what I see there. We need to bless our family with a word that is fitting. In fact, I love Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11 that says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. In other words, don't say what tears people down. Say what builds people up because you know why? We all need grace. Every one of us. Look at the next verse. Verse 29, the rest of the verse. As fits the occasion, a word Fitly spoken, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Jesus, I appreciate the people in our congregation who are good at this. This, my friends, is an awesome way to be a Christian, to be a church member, to be a family member, to be a dad in a Christian family, to be a pastor in a Christian church. This is fun. This is wonderful. This is is where you just say thank you all the time. You say, I appreciate what you're doing. This morning, I'm, I'm, I'm in my office and I look out my window and there's John Clowers, one of our deacons, picking up trash. He's got a trash can, he's dragging it through the, and he's just picking up trash all through the parking lot. I mean, there's a lot of trash, you know. In fact, when I thanked him for it, I said, man, I appreciate what you're doing, John. I don't know if it's like under the security responsibilities clean the parking lot. I'm not sure if it is, but I want to thank you. For cleaning the parking lot. You're just a great guy. He said, I preach, that's all right. I I just enjoy doing anything I can to help. I said, well, John, thanks for what you're doing. Keep up the good work. I love that. That's a great statement. See somebody doing something, hey, keep up the good work. That's all, just just say it and move on. You know what that does? Next time they, next second they work, they're like, I think I will. (laughs) What about this one? I see God at work in your life. I see God at work in your life. Yesterday, about 9 o'clock at night, Brady Thomas and Keith Collins knocked on our door. The pastor's house. It's 9 o'clock on a Saturday night. And these kids have the gold. No, they don't. They, 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 They are awesome. So they knock on the door. I don't know who it is. I'm like, who is at our door at 9 o'clock at night. And I see these two yahoos. <laughs> and their heads are down. And they're like, uh, hey, Pastor. Uh, I said, hey, guys, what do you want? Come on in. They're like, uh, can we have some blue Kool-Aid? <laughs> so they said, can we have some blue Kool-Aid? Well, if you know anything about the Capaci family and my wife, she is famous for what is affectionately called blue magic. Jordan Elkins made it through college by drinking Blue Magic. Just asking, He'll tell you. Oh, yeah. First thing Jordan does when he comes to our house is, got any blue Kool-Aid? <laughs> I, could, I could have every kind of drink you could imagine and all he'd want is the blue Kool-Aid. So they're like, hey, you got any blue Kool-Aid? Eh, come on in. My wife says, I think I may have to make some. Then she opens the fridge and there was a half gallon of blue Kool-Aid. These guys drank it all. They peed all night. I'm sorry. I said I wouldn't say that. I'm online. I did. Sorry, cameras can't. Sorry, slipped, slipped. So they're there. They're hanging out. Tiffany's talking to them, and I mean, these guys don't normally come to the house. I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe they just maybe God's working in their life. Normally, when God's not working in your life, you don't want to be at the pastor's house. I mean, you know, if you're running from God, and you know, and 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 you you know getting. Have a few get sauce that night. You know, it's not like, let's go to the pastor's house. You know. <laughs> but these kids show up. So I just made sure I hugged them, put my arm around them, told them I loved them. God, man, I said, God, God's doing something. God's working. I'm proud. I, I, just, I just think people need to hear that. I think sometimes our kids need to hear more building up than tearing down. But they also need to hear sometimes a parent who has enough care and compassion to go to them. So, so we're not talking about one or the other. We're talking about both because it requires both. Or what about this? I believe in what God is doing in your life. Or don't give up. Or I love this one. You can count on me. Oh, Cliff Kaufman used to say it like this. Preacher, if I tell you chicken chew snuff, you can look under the wing and find the pouch. Anybody remember Cliff? I need to ask that every now and then. Oh Cliff, not many people raise their hands anymore. I wish you could know him. I wish you could know him. You know what? You know one thing about Cliff? You could count on him. You could count on him. I love that about somebody. I want to be that kind of person. I want to build people up. There's so many people in our church moving about, building people up even this morning. Join the team. But you're not going to be able to do this until you are convicted about your speech. Now let's pull it all together. Here's the summary of the whole message. Are you ready? Here it is. Last note. God helping me, here's my conviction. I will not excuse my speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit. That's the conviction. That's the altar call. That's the response. I will not excuse my speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit. When I say something... And the Holy Spirit convicts me. Listen, I'm not going to make excuses. Well, I don't like confrontation. Well, I don't want to get it right. Well, I'm, I'm just, I'll just wait till tomorrow. I'll wait till the next day. No, no, no. Here's my conviction. Jeremy, here's my conviction. What's the word again you kept using in that first uh, message? Neutrality. Jeremy, I'm not going to be neutral. Listen, I'm not going 50-50 on this. 100% of the time... When the Holy Spirit of God convicts me about my speech, when it grieves Him, I'm changing. Can I tell you something about the Holy Spirit that's different than you and I? We gotta read the rest of the verse first. Read it with me. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, did you know that grieve here is a family word? It's a relationship word. It is. You can't grieve somebody that you're not in a relationship with. But the Bible says in this verse that you're not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you were sealed by him until the day of redemption. If you are a child of God, this is good. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit of God has sealed you. He wants you to know he's not going anywhere. He's got you until the day of redemption, until you see Jesus face to face. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's not us though. If I'm at a party where things are happening that I don't like, I can just say, I'm out of here. I think, I'll, I think I'll go home now. But the Holy Spirit can't leave you. So you say something. You say something to your spouse. You say something inappropriate. You, you participate in something that's against the Scriptures. And you have grieved the Holy Spirit. It means you've made Him sad and he can't go anywhere. He's stuck because he told you, he sealed you. And the Holy Spirit, saddened, he says, what are you talking like that for? Why why are you saying that? We We don't talk like that. It's not who you are anymore. We're family. We're family. not the Holy Spirit. I will not excuse my speech when it grieves the Holy Spirit. I'm asking everyone here to join me in that, to have a conviction about that. But if you're here today and you say, well, pastor, I'm not really relating to this because I, I don't know that I really know Christ. Well, listen, you're right. There's no use in being convicted about your speech if you've never come to know the Christ who offers to you today eternal life and salvation because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and then you can experience on that very moment of accepting Christ a a sealing by the Holy Spirit and everything changes if you need to be saved today I want to invite you to be saved and I want to invite everyone here today here's our response to just be willing to say to the Holy Spirit of God I want to speak life and speak truth because we are family. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, Spirit of the living God, forgive us. Forgive me, God, for where we have failed you, for where, God, I have spoken words that have been not fitting, that have not given grace to my wife. Forgive me, God, when I have spoken words that have not given grace to my congregation. Holy Spirit of God, I welcome your convicting presence in my life. I welcome it. God, please convict me. Lord, help me to resolve every issue, every conflict, every righteous anger in that moment before the sun goes down. God, heal my marriage. Heal my relationships. Heal my children. Heal our church. Heal our country, God. Our country is angry. Both sides. Spewing. Suppressing. Oh, God. We need a revival of Christ-like conduct. God, help us. Even when we don't agree with some be kind, to watch our tone, to speak words of life and not death. God, I want to bless others. Oh God, I want to give grace. I want to resolve conflict. I want to build people up. I don't want to tear people down. Father, may we today determine in this moment, even in this moment, before this day is over, we're going to ask you to convict us about our speech. I love you. I thank you. I praise you. Move amongst us, God, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand again?